Welcome to Represented in Medicine. I am your host, Rachel Rudine. With me today is Trisha Todd. She is the Interim Director for the Pre-Health Student Resource Center at the University of Minnesota. Long time in the pre-health advising world. How many years have you been working with students in this capacity? I've been here at the university since 2004. Okay, wonderful. So you've seen people, even though med school takes a long time, you've now seen people through hopefully to the yes, process. I have. I, I have students of mine that are now in, in practice. Do they come back? Do they kind of, do you see them full circle? Yes, they do come back. I just had a student stop in right before the holidays. He's in his uh, surgical residency out in Washington so, yeah, it's great fun to see them come back and say, look where I am. Well, that's, well, that's really nice. And we should clarify that you not only work with pre-medical students, but your office is pre-health. So yes. what other professional programs do you advise students through? We serve any pre-health student. So they don't even have to have um, an interest in a program that we have here at the University of Minnesota. We have a lot of students that are interested in physician assistance programs, and we do not have that program here but our students uh, come to our office and we serve them with all the same resources we can provide for other students that are interested in the program that we actually have here at the University of Minnesota. That's good. Do you find, do you ever have students that come in and, and just say, I'm not sure if I, even, you know, what I want, can you just help me? All the time. Yeah. And many times those are students, we, we have a lot of high school students visit our campus mm-hmm. and we, we meet with those students on Mondays and Fridays. And then we see freshmen when they come in, we we go to freshman orientations and talk with students. And for those students that really don't know what they want, we encourage them to take the orientation to health careers uh, course that we have Mm -hmm. because they can do that either in person or online. And it just is a great way to get the breadth of different health professions that are out there, hear from people that are in those professions and figure out, gee, does that sound interesting? Is that a good fit for me? I think that students, the assumption for pre-med students that I work with is that I have to know, everyone has that aha moment when they're eight years old that, or younger, that, you know, I picked up where I was at the doctor's office and that's when it sparked in me that I wanted to be a doctor. Some moment happened to me and they, students assume that if that didn't happen and, and if they stumble into medicine later, that they're already too late. Or do you know what I mean? That if um, they don't find that they want to go pre-med until their sophomore, junior, senior year, that they're somehow behind. But obviously, you see the the whole run of it. We see the whole range of students. We've seen students that have wanted to be a physician since they were young. And I've seen students that have wanted to be a physician since they were young who have changed their mind. Mm -hmm. I took a student on one of our global seminars that was headed to medicine, and now he's in law. So you can change your mind in a lot of places along this pathway. And then I've worked with students as old as... 38 that have applied to medical school, and I know there's some that are even older than that. Yes. You also work, this is a service available to alums of the University of Minnesota. Is that, am I correct in yes. saying that? Yes. Okay, so that must that must happen every so often then, which I, I always wondered. Yes, that. it does, and we, we see students oftentimes during the summer, and uh, we even see students that are perhaps going to another school in Minnesota mm-hmm. that might need some additional help and you know, sure. maybe they go to a smaller college and they want some assistance and we'll see them sometimes during the summer where they come in and just want information. And We serve a lot of walk-in, yeah. you know, a lot of walk-in uh, folks that just have questions mm-hmm. and sometimes it's even the parents that are sure. just stopping in and saying, yeah, I have questions for my daughter or my son. Yep. 
Can you talk a little bit about your background prior to working uh, at the Pre-Health Student Resource Center? Sure. I uh, I actually, years ago, went back to school as a, as a career changer myself okay. and thought I was going to go into medicine, only mm-hmm. to find out that I really didn't like working with sick people. Okay. So it's I, a key factor. I, yes, <laughs> very important key factor. I really had a love for prevention. So okay. I ended up in uh, our school of public health here at the University of Minnesota, mm-hmm. and I did my degree in public health, and then I went to work for the Minnesota Department of Health and spent a number of years there before coming over here to the University of Minnesota. That's wonderful. And you employ how many people are among your staff? Well, when we're fully staffed, we have eight staff in our office. Yeah. And so, and then we also have some folks that work with us on a part-time basis. We have two physicians that work with us on a part-time basis and a veterinarian. And we have others that we, we can call in when we need to have people that can talk about different health professions. Um, so it works out really well. We have a good partnership with all of our academic health center schools here. Well, you mentioned the global health options and opportunities that you've been, I know you've gone on several trips yourself. Can you talk a little bit about the trips that your office oversees? Sure. Why, why don't I also just mention some of the other things that we have? Because of course. the global courses fit into this package. Oh, the Future Physician so, yeah. Series. So yes. we, we offer a number of courses, and the Future Physician series of courses are three courses that we intentionally designed to help students learn about medicine. So the very first course is Medicine in the 21st Century, and it ha- it's offered in the fall of the year. We like to get freshmen into that course so they get an opportunity to learn about it, but mm-hmm. we'll take any student from any, at any point in their mm-hmm. academic career. And it just really introduces them to the topics. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of physicians that are engaged in this course and help us identify what are those topics that they wrestle with and, and what are some things that students need to know if they think they want to go into medicine because they need to understand what are the things that they're going to be wrestling with on a day-to-day basis in their career. The second course is focused on the specialties in medicine, and that's offered in the spring of the year. And again, you don't have to have taken the first course to get into the second course. You can get into it as a freshman. You can get into it as a junior, whatever works for the students. That course is, is a really fun one because you get to listen to faculty come in, you know, the physicians here in our own medical school come in and talk about what do they do? How did they decide on that specialty? And what do they do as a, as a cardiothoracic surgeon? Or what do they do as an orthopedic surgeon? Or what do they do as a neurosurgeon or a family medicine doc or an internal medicine? So we try to bring in a real wide variety of folks because it really gives students that, that ability to say, oh, that sounds like a fit for me. And I think the, the take home a lot of students get is some students have their mind made up. I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. Mm. And then they hear from the neurosurgeon, and the neurosurgeon might say, yeah, I thought I was going to be a OBGYN, and now I'm going to be a neurosurgeon because I did the rotation, and I realized, wow, that's where I'm really interested. Right. So even the physicians that are in their specialties today didn't necessarily know what they wanted, and they changed their mind as they went through the mm-hmm. process. So they get to see the range of those, those decision-makings and processes that led them into the career that they're in now. We also offer a variety of online workshops. We, we do one-on-one meetings with students. We do uh, information fairs, all kinds of other things. But the global seminars were really introduced to help students gain some new knowledge, but probably more important than just gaining the knowledge, gaining some new 
competencies. Mm -hmm. So these are courses. They're, they're study abroad courses. They're usually two to three weeks long. The, the future physician, the global future physician course, actually is led by two physicians. And the students, there's usually about 25 students on this, this course. They leave right after the holidays in December and come back in early January. They go to Mysore, India and surrounding areas. And they get to experience medicine and healthcare through the eyes of physicians in India. They aren't there doing anything, they are there learning. And so they're learning about the social determinants of health and they're learning about what health and disease looks like in another, in another part of the world. Mm -hmm. And so they're really gaining a, a deeper understanding of the cultural framework of health and healthcare. Right. And the trip to Thailand is a similar course that's led by a public health professional and a veterinarian because it focuses more on the concept of one health, which is the human health, animal health, and ecological health, mm -hmm. and the interface between those. So they look at, um, we use the example of tuberculosis because tuberculosis is a zoonotic disease mm -hmm. that can be spread from animals to humans and from humans to animals. Mm. And so it, it provides us this wonderful opportunity to be able to use the situation of Thailand where there are many elephants and their mahouts who take care of them and tuberculosis and we can talk about how what does zoonotic disease look like and what does one health mean as far as an approach to addressing those kinds of situations. So the students again, about 25 students go on that every year and they all come back saying that they've learned not only a lot about what we want them to be learning about in those communities, but about themselves. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of competencies you can develop. You can develop a level of self-awareness. You can develop it when you, when you think about the competencies that the Association of American Medical Colleges has talked about that are important for a uh, pre-med student, they can learn about um, cultural humility. They can learn about uh, ethical responsibility to themselves and to others. They can learn about reliability and dependability and, and their capacity for improvement and getting and giving feedback. And those are just some of the things that they gain through these kinds of experiences. Well, exposure, I, I think you hit on with both the physician series where you bring in physicians of different specialties, but now then when you do take them abroad and just getting that cultural exposure and for some 19, 20, 21-year-olds may never have been out of the country, may never have experienced anything but Twin Cities in their hometown, or if they're from here, just you know Minneapolis, St. Paul. I think that it is so important that they recognize there's so much more than just this one area that we're in. And I really appreciate the, the value that you're emphasizing in the interprofessionalism of this. You know, it, when you become part of a healthcare team, you're, you're sort of instilling that idea that you're, you're going to have this team of a, a pharmacist, a social worker, a nutritionist, a physical therapist, you know, et cetera, and getting them aware that it's not just the one, not, not ever going to do the one only thing that you had intended to do throughout. Like you thinking, I'm only going to touch neurosurgery for <laughs> the entirety of my medical education and career is just, you know, they sort of need to get that out of their head. Well, and I think the other thing that is so important that a global experience does, and I use the term experience, but I really want to emphasize that 
I, I really encourage students to go as part of a formal study abroad. Right. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that experiential component later. Yes. But as a part of a formal study abroad, one thing that happens is the faculty that are leading this have actually designed it so that you, there's some intention, some intentionality in helping students learn what are important things to learn. And I think that when students go into another culture, one of the most important things we want them to learn is cultural humility. Yes. And we want them to understand that culture really defines health. It defines disease. It defines the system in which those kinds of things will be addressed. And to understand that the influence that culture can have will help you as a future physician when you are seeing patients from different cultures. Because then you can ask different questions. You don't make the assumptions you might make if it's somebody that comes from the same culture as you. Having those kinds of experiences and going as part of a study abroad program, we really help them learn to ask those questions and to see the things we really want them to see and understand. And is that the sort of thing that you try to, as best you can, to orient orient them to ahead of time? Or is it once you have to sort of be there see the environment to then sort of have teachable moments on the spot. We would love to be, I mean, we do orientations and we love to be able to talk about these things ahead of time, but it's really hard because until you really are in that situation, sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. Yes. And when you do experience these new situations, it really helps to have somebody there that you can turn to. So for example, in India, when you have the the physicians that practice in India, as well as the physicians that practice in the United States, and a student sees something, they can ask the question of both. Mm -hmm. And then they get an amazing opportunity to hear two different cultural perspectives on that very issue. And it's often often very, um, it it provides a, a tremendous amount of fodder for good conversation. And so we end up having really rich conversations, not just from the students to the faculty, but among the faculty from the United States and the faculty from India. Mm-hmm. You obviously have an established program where your, your site leader or your uh, trip leaders have, are experienced and your organizational team has been doing this for years. So students can have the confidence going in that this is a legitimate program that is taking, following all the necessary mandates, legalities, things like that. If a student or someone who found something through a different program nationally or, or internationally on their own, how can they navigate, is this legitimate? Is this something that seems a little iffy? What are some warning signs there that you're aware of? That's such a, that's such a complex question. Sure. Because, and that's why I often say, you know, if you go to your own campus learning abroad center, mm-hmm. they're already going to have vetted these organizations. Right. They're going to know what they're doing. If an organization is encouraging you to go with them to practice medicine or to even to observe, a lot of organizations are like, just come with us to a, a community. It's a, it's a, under-resourced, they oftentimes call them poor communities in, in another part of the world. They don't have they don't have any health care, and so something's better than nothing. Well, that's mm. not true. Right. One, most parts of the world have something 
And that's part of that cultural humility, recognizing it might not look like what we have here, but they have something. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and these organizations that do this oftentimes don't have, they don't have roots in that community. We call them drop-in clinics. Yes. They might show up and drop into the community and pop up a tent or go into a church basement or whatever they do, but they don't really have a connection into the health system in that community. Mm -hmm. And so they can cause more harm than good. Um, I was in Ecuador a while back and visiting with somebody that uh, was a physician in a clinic, a rural clinic, and she was only out in the, the clinic once a week, but she would come once a week. And on this particular day, we came out of the clinic and there we saw a, an organization doing their pop-up tents. And this physician looked at me and said, oh, no, now I've got a lot of work in front of me. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, they come, they bring these, these students that don't know what they're doing. They, they give out prescriptions that are old or that are wrong for my patients, or they don't diagnose them with something, and then the, the, my patients don't come in to see me. And she says, I spend six months or longer trying to fix the things that they do when they come into my community. And that's a real heartbreaking story because I think a lot of our students think they're going to help. Mm -hmm. They really are sold on the come, you know, the service. Be, be yes, be a helper. Come save these people. Mm -hmm. well, it's a doctors without that. borders, but without the title. You know that they're getting somehow involved in something like that. Well, and I'm always real careful. The doctors without borders program is an excellent program. Oh, I guess I mean to say they're thinking that's what this is yes. like. That, that they're not. doing that. Right. And right. It's not. And that's I think the the trick is. These, and the other thing that happens is these organizations, they're, they're almost predatory on the students. Mm -hmm. And it really makes me sad because they will come onto campuses and they will find students that are interested in, in medicine. And they'll say, you know, we can give you this experience. It's going to look good on your application. And they'll sometimes even go so far as to tell a student, you know, we'll pay for you to go if you can find nine friends that will pay their way. And so, so this they, brings they in the, take the advantage of students the and then they volunteerism them. component of it where students are being enticed to go and spend a couple days in a clinic but then go and have a safari or go mm -hmm. go scuba diving in the ocean somewhere. And and it, I I think the challenge is the last thing we want to do is blame the students. Right. Gosh, this sounds like a good thing. I'd, I'd like to do this too. I think we have some predatory organizations out there that are taking advantage of our students. We also have an issue that I think is an important one for all of us, and especially those working in medical schools, is being really clear when we say to students, we want you to have clinical experience. Right. Because they hear that and they think, oh, I need to be doing something to a patient. Yes. And that's not what's meant. And when you talk to most people, it's the clinical experience is an understanding of, you know, be in the setting so you can understand what is it like to be in a hospital? Right. And what what kinds of things can you expect in a hospital or in a clinic or any place that works with patients? It's that experience that allows you to, to understand the setting, but it also allows you to understand the patients. What is it like to be a patient? And patients are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. For, for many reasons. And so helping students understand that before they get into medical school is, is very important. 
But to go and practice medicine, do things that you are not allowed to do in this country, right. and to go do them on a vulnerable population in another country is both illegal and unethical. Right. And you, couldn't, you won't even let a physician, a licensed physician from Minnesota, go to another country, let alone another state, to practice medicine. Right. So why are we letting untrained, unlicensed students do that? When you bring up a good point about that misconception, we refer to it more often now as a demonstrated understanding of medicine. Beautiful. To say, and you're right, can be can be earned in, or developed in a number of different ways. But rather than just you telling me, I know what medicine is and I know that this is what I want to do, you've demonstrated that you've done observations or shadowing. You have volunteered in a clinical setting in whatever capacity, you've been a CNA or a scribe and you've observed. I I also emphasize the importance of just observing the provider-patient relationship and also that if they can, understanding what the physician, not the burden of being a physician, but the the workload and as much as there is good and there's working with people and helping people and really brightening their day, which is what so many are inspired by when they're starting out, but they're also seeing... You know the hard, the hard side of it too—the long hours and the difficult conversations and the barriers that patients might be facing coming into their session with the physician, and vice versa. So I think that you you said that really, really wonderfully. I think what students forget too is that they don't need to serve. I think there is a flashy component to doing things abroad. That that sort of what you mentioned—that it looks great on your application. It's sort of a big ticket item to have this mission or service trip um, abroad, but there's so much, you know, I tell students, think about where you eventually want to practice, and especially if you're a Minnesota student wanting to go to the University of Minnesota for medical school, how are you serving the current community that you're in? It's great to go elsewhere and do things for the greater good, and we need people to do that, but there's also a lot that can happen here that doesn't need to be you know clinical related there's a lot of just service or public health service opportunities or utilizing the passions and the interests that you already have and finding ways to turn that into service so that last part is the key for me yeah I think that there's a lot of students and and you and I both know that there's a lot of misinformation out there on the web yes and there's many websites that contain a lot of information oftentimes provided by students themselves yes who might have one experience that they that they think is the end-all experience for everybody. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, no, that, that worked for you because you are you. Mm-hmm. And so I oftentimes am trying to help students understand that when I'm looking at your application, if I get to the end of looking at that application and I have to ask you the question, where are you yes. in this application? There's something wrong. And and I tell students, you know, if you want an interesting and compelling application, you need to be interesting and compelling. And you don't become interesting and compelling by following behind what everybody else does. Checking a box, doing the checklist. Right. And what we often call it is how do you develop yourself as a three-dimensional candidate? Beautiful. And we do that by talking about you first. So getting to know yourself getting to know who you are and what your interests are and where did those interests come from. 
and I'll give you just a couple examples that I think are, are great examples. I had a student, he was a piano player, and he was talking to me about, you know, well, what hospital should I go volunteer at, and what clinic should I do this at, and what, what other things should I be doing? And after talking to him and finding out he liked music, I said, have you ever thought about doing anything with your music, your love of piano mm -hmm. playing? And he said, well, no. Well, well, well what would I do? Right. And I said, well, what about going to a nursing home and playing music on an Alzheimer's unit where we know music therapy is great? He started doing that, and he did that for two years. He loved it. The people at the nursing home loved it. He actually got invited to other nursing homes to play. This was, the, this was what most people cared about in his application. It was such a direct reflection of who he was, and, it, and it, was, it brought him joy. It brought other people joy. He had stories to tell. He was passionate about it. That's the example I give. I give another one that, for me, works is a student that, again, I, I sit and I talk to students, and I dig to try to find out, well, what are you excited about? What do you like to do? And this particular student had been a soccer player all his life, and he really wanted to do something with his love of soccer. Mm -hmm. So we found an organization that served little kids, mm -hmm. and he went to them and said, can I teach them how to play soccer? And they said, sure, well, we've always thought it'd be fun to have some kind of little soccer league here. We've got a lot of little kids, but we don't have any coaches. He rounded up a bunch of his friends. They broke them into teams. They played soccer all summer. They taught them soccer moves. It was great. Mm -hmm. And it had nothing to do with medicine. Right. But it was the kind of thing that he, he acquired organization skills. He learned communication skills. He got to know the population he was going to serve in the future. It was, it was just an amazing example of how do you take your own passion, your own gifts, the things that, that you really have to offer, and turn them into something that actually is of service to others. Right. And that's the message we're trying to help students understand. Sometimes students don't even recognize what they have to offer. Yep. And sometimes we have to dig kind of deep because they, they don't see themselves as having anything special, but they all do. Right. There's always something in there. I've, I've never met a student that I can't find something. I've heard Fred uh, from your office, Fred Williams, tell an anecdote about the dental schools. It's my understanding look for fine motor skills as yes. part of their application component. And he spoke about a young woman he worked with who had done some sort of figurine painting yes. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that had just been something she was good at. And it ended up being yeah. a completely transferable skill to, exactly. to her application. And that, you know, I talk about that with students too, just because you have it, an interest, you know, pre-medical school or a hobby or a passion you don't give that up when you start. If anything, you need to continue it for your own well-being, stress relief. You need to maintain those things. And for all you know, it could become part of your co-professional identity. Yes. You might take, you know, you might start your own service project. There's a physician on our committee who does a, um, a reading mentoring program with elementary students. And that was something that when he, prior to being in medical school, he did while he was in college and he sort of has now formed this organization now that he's a practicing physician. And keeping those things is, not only do we remember you for it, I remember certain applications that I've read where they incorporate that into their personal statement or 
you can tell the ones that listed on there for the sake of it. I have 15 experiences to fill, so I'm going to put that I enjoy working out versus the ones who, you know, I trained for this marathon and, you know, that they really write. And this was meaningful to me and it taught me, you know, keep, you know, organization, keeping to a schedule and personal, uh, you know, self-worth and, and, all, and all these, and motivation and all these certain things that, that are transferable now to, to being a physician. And that's the key, I think. You know that, I know that. I'd like our audience to know that it's that connecting from your passion, your interests that might seem not related to medicine at all. You can connect almost anything then to how that's developed you and helped you grow into what will become an amazing physician. And I think another piece of this that is is really important for students is so often you hear students come in and they say, I want to help people. Yes. Well, tell me a profession that doesn't help. <laughs> my, my plumber helps me. Right. My electrician helps me. Yes. Every profession out there is a helping profession. Yeah. So it has to be more than help. It has to be more about the how mm-hmm. you want to help people. Yep. And I will have students that say to me, I want to help people, but I really don't like science and, and I don't like the the underlying content that is necessary yeah. to give you the foundation to really be able to help people as a physician. Right. Because if you think about it, the, you know, you, you wouldn't hire an electrician that didn't understand electricity. That would be kind of dangerous. Right. Well, you need to hire physicians that understand the, the body and they understand the science that, that is necessary. Uh, in order to be able to help diagnose or put together a treatment plan or whatever the case may be. And so I tell students sometimes if they say, I'm not, I really don't like the sciences, well, that's, that might be a real important indicator for you that maybe this isn't the right place and way to help people. There are so many professions out there. There are so many ways to help people. And you really want it to be from a place where your passion and interest is. And if, if you don't really like the sciences, it's not necessarily going to be easy or fun for you. Mm-hmm. I think the people that really make the best physicians have a real curiosity about the body. Yes. They have a curiosity about health and disease. They have a curiosity about understanding what, you know, what does health look like and how do you help people to be healthy? And it can be focused on prevention, but it often is going to be focused on treatment. And that, that is so important to, to, for students to understand that if that's not something you really have an interest in, step back then and think about your motivation for this field. Mm-hmm. Again, if your motivation is to help people, you can do that in so many ways outside of medicine. If your motivation is to be a physician, but that's not your motivation, it's coming from a family member, parent, it's coming from you telling people in high school or grade school you were going to do this, if that motivation is in any way not pure Mm -hmm. to you, it's not your motivation and you've got to let it go. And that is hard. That is... We recognize that that is not an easy thing to let go of. You be, you go on a path, and it almost feels like on a dirt road when your tires kind of get in a in a bit of a, a lane. You know, there's an in, there's an indent there, not a rut necessarily, but your tires are on a path, and it's hard to break out of that and and to to go a different way because you're just kind of going yep. along in the motions, especially if you've 
told people about this plan. You know, if, you, if you've been talking about it for a while, then everyone, you know, you go to, Taisha I talked about this last time, where you go to family events or holidays, and how is med school preparation coming or, or dental school? And they, it was a hard conversation to have, but it's important that you do now. It is hard, I think, to get into medical school with insincere or not genuine motivations. We are able to see through that pretty clearly. Yeah. And, and we teach a writing a personal statement course in our, in our um, center, and it's a, it's a semester-long course, and really it's, it's so much more than writing a personal statement right. because we spend a lot of time with the students exploring those motivations, mm-hmm. identifying and articulating where those motivations began and what are those things that contributed to your decision, and we have actually had students get through that class and decide not to apply. Wow, yeah. Because it's the first time somebody's ever pushed them to really think about and articulate what's driving my decision here. And when they get and they start peeling back the layers of that onion, you know, they, they basically start to cry. <laughs> and they say, oh my gosh, look at this. I didn't have pure motivation for this. Mm-hmm. Or it came from outside of me or... or I had too much pride wrapped around it because yeah. I didn't want to say that I've changed my mind. I had a student that went on our India trip, and she was going to medicine, and that was her plan. And it was, I thought for sure, she was you know, totally focused on medicine, only to have her go through the writing a personal statement class and have her say, I want to go to dental school. And she is now in dental school. Wow. And, but, but that's, I wish we could start every student out as a freshman with a class that helps them to explore their interests, their passions, their motivations. Um, we start the year every fall with about 300 students interested in medicine in the future physician class. By spring, about half of them have said, mm, yeah, don't think I'm going to go to medicine. And that is so much better than like a biology weed-out course, you know, where the way... The only way you learn that this might not be for you is if you fail introductory biology, you know, and now we have the serious contenders for intermediate, and that's just, this is so much better. <laughs> well, and, and getting to that issue of, of the courses, I think what's, what's really sad and really unfortunate, and it's, it's what's leading our office to introduce a new Pathways program, because I think there are students that get to the university and they've never had the foundational courses, or they maybe don't understand even the culture of the university. They don't know how to study for the exams. They don't know, they just, they don't have the advantages that some students do. And I really want to even that playing field. I want to find a way that I can support those students that are coming from situations that are not of the same advantage and help them figure out how to make that transition into college, into a university, into a research university, and what do they need to do if they're really going to be successful? Because I love the fact that we've got students that show up here with a dream and they really are motivated. And it disturbs me tremendously that it's our academic process that basically keeps them from achieving their dream. I do not believe that any student that gets into the University of Minnesota is not capable of being a physician or being a, a public health professional, being a dentist or a pharmacist. I do not believe that. If they if they got this far, but I think the university system and our academic system 
is not designed to provide the kind of support that those students might need in order to be successful. Right. So I, I hope that we as a university continue to work on this so that we can provide opportunities for those students that are coming in at a disadvantage and giving them what they need so they can be successful. That's interesting. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I it's nice. It's, it's why we want people who have longevity with the institution to be able to observe these things and now have the clout to sort of say, I'd like to address these challenges. And we even face that a little bit in the medical school, but almost in reverse where, I mean, certainly there are students who we can identify as being maybe at risk academically or haven't had the same level of preparedness, but there are other strong factors to their application areas that are outstanding that, you know, we still believe they'll be successful and you can provide support to those students. But what's harder I've noticed is the students who really had no problem in undergrad you know, they were those perfect 4.0 students. When you talk about restructuring how you study going from high school to college, and it is another layer then to completely change it again for the medical school curriculum structure. You know, how do you support those students who have are perfectionists, who, you know, an A minus is, is a nightmare, and all of a sudden they've got a four-week block of a class where they have to retain all, or, you know, absorb all that information and, and, and be tested on it. And that speaks to the, the uh, AAMC competency of resilience yes. and adaptability. So years ago, there was a phys- uh, professor here at the University of Minnesota, Robin Wright, mm-hmm. and she was in the College of Biological Sciences. And she believed that the students that were most successful were those that actually outperformed their ACT scores. So in other words, what she was saying is that students that came to the University of Minnesota that didn't have to work very hard in high school and got their A's, and they never had to, they never faced any adversity, they mm-hmm. never acquired those study skills, all those things that, that would have helped them in college, they didn't have. And so... Yet the students that sometimes show up with the lower ACT scores, they've faced more challenges mm-hmm. and they've had more situations. And I do agree with her that they're, they are probably, they've, they've developed some problem-solving skills that students that have never faced a challenge would have. But again, our system is still not designed to, it, it's not designed to really help that student that doesn't have the foundation knowledge or skills to bring them up to speed so that they can manage the the work in the university, the academic challenges in the university. I really value students who, you know, we one of the supplemental secondary application questions that we ask revolves around a challenging life experience, and it's up to their interpretation of what challenging is. It could be a challenge that ended up being great, challenge that ended up being not so great, but you know how you dealt with it. And that's eye-opening. I think you can get through a whole application and think this person can can handle the work. And then reading through the rest of their application materials, realizing there's a lot of maturity still that needs to happen. And, and I think that's a hard area for students to maybe hear about because you can't go seek out. They think you can't go seek out some obstacle, yeah. you know. But it's also about just putting yourself into new environments and, and taking yourself out of your comfort zone. And, and, and that's challenging all on its own. And that ties into going full loop back, but it ties into self-awareness. Right. Um, it ties into, yes, having experiences, but then 
building in some self-awareness where you understand what was that experience. I've taken students abroad, you know, 25 students, very similar experiences that they might have, and 25 different levels of perspective on that. Yes. And for some, it's life-changing. They, they really embrace the experience. They embrace the opportunity to feel discomfort mm-hmm. and to learn about themselves in that process and, and to explore it. Others put up guards, and they, they, they're totally uncomfortable, but they're putting up their guards so that they don't have to feel anything, and they're not getting much out of it. And I, I have a story of a student that went, to, went abroad with us the first year to India, and she said, I'm going to try every food. And this student happened to be gluten intolerant, oh, okay. and which you don't have to worry about too much in Southern India, sure. but she just went in with gusto, yes. and she tried everything. She, she was just fully engaged. Then I had other students that after complaining about the meals for two days straight, they went to McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken in India. And I looked at both of them, and I thought, wow, there's just a difference in, in that ability to embrace something where you really have an opportunity to learn mm-hmm. something about something new, but also about yourself. Yes. And the more you're driven by fear, the less you're able to embrace those things. And so for me, it's helping those students to figure out what is it you're really afraid of. And sometimes they're, they're just afraid of making mistakes. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of doing something wrong. They're afraid of, you know, being different. And, and getting past some of those fears, that's what develops that maturity. And that's what we see when we see students that have taken on these. And those experiences don't have to be abroad. As you said, they can be in your own backyard. Right. They can be on your own campus. I know students that, I mean, they just don't venture out. They barely venture out past their dorm rooms or their, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, wow, this is a big campus. This is a great, big, diverse campus with lots of opportunities. And yet they don't have the comfort to engage in those. Right. So helping those students develop so that they can do those things is only going to make them stronger and better candidates for any health profession program. I think that's such a wonderful way to close our discussion, but I could honestly, I, I, I could talk about this for a long time with you. And to an extent, I want you to sort of whip me into shape. Like <laughs> I think you do as do in a, in a very calm, I really appreciate, I, I, I can imagine your demeanor with them is really great. That's sort of, harsh but fair, you know, like where you sort of give them the reality check, but you, you do it with such a kind face. The listeners cannot see it. She delivers with a very kind face. And, you know, I cannot plug your office, your team enough anytime that I've observed a presentation that they've given the, um, the, is it still going to be called the health careers fair in the future yes. with the office name change? So yes. the health careers fair that they put on annually. And then the last thing I would really like to do is Please. to plug our office also as far as I work with the best team on the university and I really believe that I nothing against you know your team no I believe it too but I really feel like (laughs) we have we have the best talent we have amazing people they care more about the students than the students sometimes care about themselves and it's that commitment and that passion what makes me excited to come to work every day but everybody in the office has that and so I encourage students, just drop in. 
Jenna at our front desk can answer almost any question a student comes in with, and if she can't answer it, she's going to make sure that the students are connected with us. We, we can, you know, if we can't answer it, that's when we call you or right. we call other people to say, okay, this is an unusual. We're never going to leave a student hanging. Right. And so come in and talk to us and, and go on our website and, and take a, put together an action plan and do it sooner than later. Never be afraid to come in and ask questions because that's what we're here for. That's our job to try and find answers to those questions to help you. Yes. Well, and I, I would agree. Anytime I'm at a session or hearing a presentation from a member of your team, I take away a different piece or a different anecdote that I, you, you know, I, that's what I, I take away something that I've shared with students in the future. Usually I give credit to who I heard it from, but sometimes I don't. Um, I would also, what I admire is that, you know, I know the medical school and I know really some national medical school information in terms of what they want out of an applicant. But I, I cop out a lot of times to say, well, I know what the University of Minnesota, you know, that's my area of expertise. And so I really admire your team for not only knowing one, you know, all, all the various health professional programs that a student could participate in, but then juggling all the expectations because some might require this and some might require that and, and making a student aware of that. Certainly you don't have a Rolodex in your brain of everything that each individual school requires, but you are sort of that one-stop shop of a good, a, a fantastic place to kickstart the whole thing off and, and to get direction from there. Yeah. And we, and we work with students who are going to be applying to more schools and we spend a lot of time with students helping them figure out how many schools should you be applying mm -hmm. to and, and realistically you know we we have access to all the data on our students that apply and we can say statistically speaking it doesn't benefit you to apply to a whole bunch of schools because it's not a lottery Right. What's what's really important is you look at the various schools that are out there and you choose schools that you are a fit with mm -hmm. and then you put together an application that really helps them understand that fit. And more and more we've gotten students to really understand this so we're getting students to, to apply to the appropriate number which is generally around the national average of 12 to 13. Um, and, and then we work with them on the supplemental applications and we work with them on the interview preparation. So we're with them the whole way through yes. and, and then we ask them to please, please send us a picture of your, of you at your white coat ceremony <laughs> and we put your picture on the wall and oh. you know, that's our big challenge. Get, get those white coats up on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, thank you so much for thank joining you. me. And, um, as always, if you have questions or have feedback for us, we are at, uh, we are checking our email regularly. It is represent at umn.edu. And we'd love to hear your feedback. If you have questions, perhaps we'll have you on for a follow-up episode. But otherwise, go see Trisha and her team on the University of Minnesota's campus in Moose Tower. 2565 Moose Tower. Thank you. And our, our uh, website is healthcareers.umn.edu. And our uh, email is hcc umn.edu. Perfect. Well, thank you again and have a good rest of your day, everybody. Thank you.